like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. I'm Sam, and we are queuing up the Ensons Summer Series where we've invited a few members on staff here to pick out a favorite episode of theirs and revisit some of our favorite past episodes from around the office. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy. This is Michelle Patterson, and my favorite and son's throwback podcast is episode 85 on dating. I am not dating. I've been happily married for 26 years, but I love this podcast for two reasons. One, it has all the Eldridge boys, and that dynamic is really fun to listen to. And two, they're talking about a subject that I need to know about. I have three sons, and I found this episode super insightful. It calmed me down as a mom and gave me insight into what my boys are living through. I loved it. You don't have to be a young man to love this podcast, girls. Girls will love it. it. has secret codes in it. There's a reason that the most popular podcasts and articles we've written are all part of the same topic. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you scroll back through, there's this thing that we keep being drawn to as human beings and as men. And can you guess what it is? You probably can because you clicked on this podcast, but it's relationships, it's sex, it's dating, so thank you, Sawyer, for suggesting some stories on our end. This is not the Anson's official posture on how to date correctly. There are plenty of books out there. There are plenty of ideas of the ways you should do it. And, and they're overwhelmingly wrong. I just need to interject here. Though we're not going to give another one, I should say. They're all deeply flawed. Because you didn't write them? No, they... They have a corrupt vision of the self. They think that dating starts with the self-life, things that you have rights to and should do and say. And uh, that never gets you anywhere. Actually, anything worth doing begins with who God is and what the consequences are for you. So you weren't really like a big fan of the movie Hitch then, it's sort of the Will Smith doing the makeover to hide all of the horrible things about you, shave them all off, and turn you into a sex machine. I mean, that's, how, that's what I did. Well, that's it worked. I got my advice. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, do, you look like Titch. Blaine does not. I got it. I Man, that, you dug deep in the archive for that movie reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's archive. a cult classic. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm Will sure Smith there's is plenty of people that have not seen it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, where he, well, yeah. he used to be everywhere and now. Now but what is this? I mean, I, I mean, you told me that we were going to come on and we were going to tell people exactly how to date. So yeah, Blaine's being facetious here. Um, I was joking. I think <laughs> <laughs> well, role reversal. Hmm. I think most people know that one though. Uh, yeah, I think that there's a 
a trap that people fall into when you don't know everything of everyone else's story and you can't and it's like the thing with social media I do feel a little bit like an old cat lady as I gesture with this <laughs> I kind of just have uh, Sam <clears throat> is wearing a blanket no no we're not going to leave that in oh, Sam <laughs> is wearing a blanket around his shoulders like a shawl today everybody it's very cold in the studio I think that it's impossible not to have this problem where we assume stories of other people when we just see little snapshots and in the world of dating I, I thought it'd be super helpful just to begin by sharing some of our own stories there, beginning back in high school and working our way up to dating the women we eventually married. Um, because that's just, that's more fodder for guys that are in the middle of that. That's not answering the, necessarily all the questions. That's inviting people into, I think, the very posture of Anson's, which was, hey, I'm on this journey and I think I figured out the answer to number two. Do you yeah. have the answer to number three? So we've got Luke in with us today hey because we wanted to spread the um, the amount that we sweat and tell these stories around. Yeah, seriously. Uh, share the load. I mean, so, I, just in this moment, I, I like look around and wonder how I am even married. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blaine, Luke, stories from dating as far back as high school, because everything before that doesn't count. Well. Uh, to be the most, the least interesting person. I didn't date in high school. I didn't date in middle school. I didn't, I didn't date until college. Um, and I didn't even know that I was going to date until like the moment I started dating because it was so not a category or even an option for me. So going through high school, middle school, pheromones are blooming. Um, desire to be in relationship. Sex is in the air. <laughs> Sex is, it is thick <laughs> in the air. That's all we cared about in middle school. Um, I could never get a girlfriend, you know? And mm. I think there's a lot of things that went into that, but the girls I liked always liked other people. Um, and so... Oh, you mentioned a story where other people sometimes got as close as your best friend type situations. Yeah, right, right. I had like women in my life who were best friends, but they would always be dating other people. Mm. And sometimes I'd have like my best friend dating the girl that I liked, all those situations that are great for movies, but terrible to actually live out. Right. Um, totally suck. And so I kind of ended up with this assumption of like, I am, I am undateable. Like I'm not, I'm not an option. And so by the time, and I'll stop here, but so by the time I actually did date, start dating, it was like this total like world-shattering shock. My problem about high schoolers is that as one, as a uh, recovering high schooler myself, through the recovery vessel of aging, I can say with confidence that high schoolers very often aren't mature enough to do anything, but are in fact allowed to do everything and in fact have to. And that is the way that, um, I guess, freedom is learned. I also did not date in high school, but like everyone who doesn't date in high school, I thought dating was awesome and that a great deal of my attraction to the otherness of women would be resolved by being allowed to date one. Though, of course, it was obvious to me that dating sort of described to men what they were allowed to do and described to women what they were allowed to expect and that this wasn't a commensurate like system. There were two different conversations going on at the same time is what I could see and go, wow, this seems to be about relational reliability on the one side and macking on the other side. <clears throat> yeah, I want to point out that you guys are 
admitting you didn't date, but that wasn't for lack of desire. Like you couldn't be on the mm-hmm. school bus for more than five minutes without hearing about all of the sexual acts that were being performed by the entire cheerleading team and who is a total bike that everybody at the school got to ride and just like things like that. This is horrible, horrible sewer water of conversation, but like it, it's everywhere. I mean, we're just hanging out with a friend of ours who's in the middle of that. And it feels like everyone's having sex with everyone else. And if they're not, they're probably drinking or doing some drug and maybe multiple of these things kind of all at the same time. And so though you guys didn't date, I had a couple of disastrous dating experiences in high school um, that you weren't somehow freed from the waters. So though you did not date, there was the desire to. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what it felt like it needed to look like in order for dating to happen. Like you needed to look a certain way or she needed to look a certain way. I mean, were you guys reading any of the books that were floating around? We were going to youth groups. Right. Yeah. No, I think the message that I received, especially in high school, was that it was entirely about physical attractiveness. You know, like um, the assumption that I had was that, like, I am not dating only because I'm not attractive enough to women. You know, it wasn't like there were no other factors in my mind. It was like just that one. And like there's a lot of evidence to kind of support that who seemed like the beautiful people at the time were always in relationships. Yeah. You know, one thing is I couldn't hug a girl without like clenching my hands under fists until my second year of high school. Oh. So the the profundity of the experience of otherness definitely characterized what I, I don't know, thought dating was. Uh, though... On the one hand, I feel like I feel like my high school situation, I would align between these two poles. And one of them is the bit of knowledge that besides like rebelling against God, uh, singleness is Adam's only problem. It's actually the only prelapsarian problem. Yeah, right. Uh, the only thing before the fall is it's not good for him to be alone. And I kind of wish more were said about that before the fall happens. And I'm sure that there's lots to say about the design for relationship, the design for the other, the you know, the design for the mirroring and back and forth to one another. But there just is the reality of desire and desire for a relationship with the thing that is encapsulated inside a woman. There's the one pole. And then the other pole is just the utter disorientation of how do you begin to have, like, and I'm talking this is level one. Hopefully most people were, are past this level by the time that they're 14, 15 years old. But it's how do you have a conversation with a woman when also... I think that there's this, we're just, I'm just going to wind all over the map here. But if you happen to be in a Christian context, one of the things that makes everything difficult is the idea that the best thing that can happen in a male-female relationship is they become married. And so it's always in the background of any interact male-female interaction is maybe this will escalate into 
the best outcome of this conversation is we end up married a couple years down the line. That no pressure is a huge problem. <laughs> you go even into a public high school setting, and because of the attractiveness of this otherness, they're still in the background of, man, I'm chatting with this girl in math class. But maybe we end up dating. Maybe the best thing that could happen ends up happening. And that sort of floating in the background makes defining regular relating really difficult. Totally. So high school has this interesting uh, context for us because on the one hand, we were in this family um, with the father that we have who was being very intentional with the language of like, where are you taking your question? And where is your validation coming from? And you can't take it to the woman and you're like, okay, like that's all, that's all good and real. And those film clips are really moving. And pornography is still a thing. And that girl in the miniskirt is still really gorgeous. And I, hormones are real. And it was this, like, I went to high school and I (laughs) dated a couple of girls. I laughed because it went so poorly for most of them, all of them really, but some of them, at least, can, more can you just tell so. crushed, crushed Rose story? That one's oh, that's, that one's that's fairly innocuous, one. but yeah, pretty funny. Well, hang on, I'll get there. I had a friend named Mark who, uh, in the sophomore, so my second year in high school, I I am purely dating at this point based on the knowledge that it is one of the measures of climbing the social ladder, and I am tired of being on the bottom. And so, if that means that the homecoming queen from last year is interested in you. Like you go for it and you're going to get pulled up some rungs and it doesn't matter what she believes or how she behaves or what kind of person she is. And this, my friend Mark was, he read this Bible verse of how like Christians shouldn't mix with non-Christians and just how like, that's not good. Okay. There's an actual verse for this and I'd sound like a terrible Christian for not quoting it. But I remember the time looking at him and being like, that doesn't matter. I don't care. Like that's, that's not why I'm doing this thing. I, in this context, I am purely operating out of survival, attraction, and climbing out of this crap that is the bottom of the social strata. So it was actually that girl that I gave the crushed rose to. Um, I carried this flower in my backpack all day to ask her out, and I had her. Why was it in your backpack? Uh, I don't know. I think I was just embarrassed to take it out and put it in my locker or like let anybody know that I had it, and because I had a class with her at the end of the day. So it was this like, well, I'll have a close hand and then I can just deliver it to her and ask her out. Because I had heard through the grapevine that she really didn't want me asking her out if I didn't have a flower or flowers. So naturally, I'm trying to check that box with the least amount possible. Anyway, I get to the hallway. Classes are all done. And I pull her aside. and I reach into my bag and pull out this flower that has been in my backpack all day long no. with my books and lunch and <laughs> walking loose around. water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it has just gotten destroyed. No. It's this limp, pathetic looking red rose that is a brilliant metaphor. And oh. I handed it to her anyway and I asked her out and she was like, uh, and she wanted to date me, but she didn't want the one flower. I ended up having to give her a dozen roses before she said yes. And you wonder how long that relationship lasted? I believe it was three days. Three days. Oh, brutal. But she, At the same time, it took Jesus to raise from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, oh, man. I rose in the social strata after those three days. That's all it took. I just don't mess it up. So 
I just oh. want to say her name aloud. <laughs> yeah, nope, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, don't, not going to do it. <laughs> just to see if you're out there. <laughs> I, <laughs> you, I know you're out there. Um, another girl I dated was lasted for a week, and we had literally never held hands because it was so terrifying for me. Actually, that was her, the Rose Girl's best friend, and Rose Girl broke up with her for her with me, if that makes sense. And then oh. the next year, Rose Girl and I dated, even though... They were still friends. It was just weird. Oh, well, man. The whole situation. I, didn't hear, I haven't heard any of these stories. Oh, yeah. Well, we're not going to spend brutal. too much time in <laughs> There's there. a vault of solid, sad gold. <laughs> there is. It totally is. I ended up having sex with my high school girlfriend that came after and had this like massive implosion um, as that came to a collision with the person I wanted to be and the, and the family that I had and all the lies it took to kind of let this relationship go on. And so I, I want to share that in dismantling this, like we, we are certain people, but we also have stories. And mm. I also for you younger guys, I know how much permission that can be. I know that I heard stories. I took a lot of permission from that to go and do things that had normally been like, you can't do that or like you're going to die. And then I remember the heart of darkness um, lines at the end where he finally tells his first lie, which he won't do the whole book long. And he lies to the man's wife who he killed. And and when he he leaves, he just says like, the heavens do not fall for such a trifle. And that to me became this anthem of like, you can do broken things and the world's not going to end. And yet something inside me was as it came to women, like I set up this pattern that continued all the way through college where eventually I had this moment. I looked back and I was like, oh my goodness, from like the time I was 11, maybe even younger, because I can remember neighborhood girls asking to marry me and me asking if they'd marry me back. And it was a very like weird thing, you know, went our separate ways. I think we were like six. I don't know all the way through into college. And I look back, I'm like, I can't see seasons for more than a month where I've been alone, where there hasn't been this fixation with the next girl or the next relationship as crappy and damaging as it might be. Right. And I think too, like when you were talking earlier about the fact that we, that I didn't date in high school, that doesn't mean that I wasn't fixated the whole time on on someone in particular and call it a crush or like you like someone you know but i resonate with that there was a fixation throughout like all of high school and the first two years of college yeah there's so many huge things in there for a young man's life yes there is the inclination for the young man just like to make some agreement or alignment with brokenness and it's so funny this can be so subtle but like I feel like a lot of my late teens and 20s were just wrapped up in considering myself to be a very tragic hero and Mm, totally and it just kind of included this I don't know this feeling that I was actually doing the best that was possible and that it involved it was sort of the opposite of the line that Bailey and refuses in Kingdom of Heaven which was just an agreement. You have to do a little evil to do a greater good, or there's always something involved in living the virtuous life. And feel like that isn't actually true, though that is a major narrative that's sort of available to a young man. I think there's also, gosh, 
get out of the dating conversation without, like, the sexuality conversation, where how do you handle dating when the overwhelming thing in the background is don't mess up your sexuality? And I just love that John Dale saying recently, like, a thing that's very ransom tart, and he goes, if that's the only thing... Christianity is bringing to the conversation, then it has nothing to contribute to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, kn- I knew several friends who had lived under that message for so long that it legitimately messed with their marriages. Um, the the fixation on your purity and on sex and on being virgins when you get married, all of that, like it, it was this forbidden taboo thing that was actually somehow dirty and wrong. Oh, okay. We'll throw the quote for this in the show notes because I can't think of what it is. But there are real studies of the long-term consequences of purity culture, especially on women. And the effect of purity culture on women is that young Christian women who have never had a sexual experience have symptoms of sexual trauma. And and it goes, don't mess up. Right. Keep it under wraps produces the symptoms and the psychological soulful effects of sexual abuse. Well, because it's Whoa. a it's a fixation as much as the alternative is. If it's it's the fixation of purity as opposed to the fixation of promiscuity, and it is a driving factor and force. And we all went to at least for a season. I think we all went to the same public high school. Blaine was there for like half the time. Yeah, oh, the yeah. whole, whole okay. time, yeah. whole time. Okay. Um, and then we all went to Christian colleges and to say that the culture, well, you had some students kicked out for black tar heroin from your high school, right, Luke? I did, including my theater buddy. Whereas I don't think that happened in your college. No, not a lot of heroin going on. Okay. At, well, at my college. that we knew about that. We, there were, there are two separate cultures, <laughs> but the dating culture in, in Christian <clears throat> colleges was like so messed up, man. There was plenty of jokes being thrown around about some women coming for their MRS degree. Like they were just there to get a husband and like the demeaning culture of that, the, the ratio that just exists in the Christian world of what feels like eligible men who are pursuing Jesus compared to the amount of eligible women. Um, and we did do a podcast on this about why spirituality seems to be more difficult for men. But to say that you can like find this little bubble where somehow you're going to be freed from all of these issues that your story is a factor at the table and sexuality is a factor at the table. Like you don't get to hide from that at a Christian college or at your church's singles group. Like that still exists. Yeah. So we would just be remiss if we didn't mention in the sexuality uh, column too, that how you are doing in your life as a sexual being actually has Basically nothing to do whether you're single or dating or married. Oh, man. Seriously. Let's just, that's just a blanket statement that is helpful to know. Right. There is an illusion that there are life forms in which it's easier to steward your sexuality. Not true. Okay, so back to the stories. Now it's college um, and post-college, that kind of age. What was the dating? What was the attraction? What was the expectation scene for you guys? Yeah. So I um, mentioned this earlier in the podcast about how when 
that dating was so off the table for me by the time that it happened, it was like a surprise that it happened. So high school, no dating, feel like I'm not even an option in women's eyes. So get to college, um, start meeting more people, um, start being a little bit more social than I was in high school, um, start hanging out with one girl in particular. And we start hanging out quite frequently. And then one day she's like, so should we start dating now? And I was like, what? What do you like all internally, not externally, because I'm trying to like play it cool and not mess up this chance that's just presented itself. <laughs> a, wild, <laughs> a wild date has appeared. I know. <laughs> Don't hold mess still. This up. <laughs> exactly. No sudden movements. It's like a wild horse that's approached you. <laughs> um, don't scare it away. And But it was honestly a shock to me because like looking back on it, it totally made sense because we were hanging out one-on-one a lot and having conversations about our stories and our families and going to more vulnerable places and really enjoying each other's company and choosing to spend time with each other over other people. And looking back on it, that makes sense that that would, if I if we continue on that, would lead to dating. Uh, but for me, that was so not an option that it was a surprise. But in the moment, I was like, what? This is an option? Yes. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized that I probably stepped into that relationship because it was the first time it was ever an option to me. And that was exhilarating to feel wanted for the first time in that way. I don't know if it was actually like, oh, I see something in this person that I want to know more. So I'm going to pursue them. It was like, oh my gosh, I can date someone. Oh man. So I l- really had the thought dr- yeah, in the summer before I started college, <laughs> it was I am going to date the first eligible woman that I meet. I am so sick of not dating anyone. Of course, I didn't know what any of those terms meant. And then I did not. I think the interesting, you know, insofar as dating has bearing on, like, uh, male-female relationships, a few things that I would be... <laughs> wait, wait, no, no. You guys go back. No more postulating. I'm not... Stories. Post- okay, so here's... I thought all of my late teens and early 20s that being a good man meant coming through all the time. This included coming through for a lot of young women. And I just mean praying for them. They need a ride to the airport, the sort of basic practical stuff. And you know what happens when you do that is like you end up playing a role that I end up playing a role that I'm not supposed to play. And I wondered oh. why I had a higher than average amount of determine the relationship conversations. Yeah, yeah. DTRs, DTRs. for those of you who aren't aware. And oh, I just got to keep going on this yeah, yeah. because I got to say it's much harder to be a good man and not be thought of as one, which includes having a lot of people really disappointed in you. And I, a lot of years of not doing that, just come through and also not having people not be okay. When I finally did date the first time, just one of the things that I, like that was the pattern again, was I will come through all the time and therefore I am always good. And just being like, wow, not helpful. I play a role that I'm not supposed to play. And then I don't allow failure and repentance to be the thing that allows me to stay in relationship. And if that's not the thing that allows you to stay in relationship, you just can't have any relationships. Yeah, it's so good. One of the big takeaways that I was coming into this conversation with was to be aware of your story with your 
relationships and with your sexuality and with yourself and how that is playing a role in your relationships. Blaine and I went to the same college for a little while and I was abroad the first semester he was there. And when I came back, he had this almost like medic tent set up of women that he was intervening for and late night prayers. And uh, these women are falling in love with him left and right because who is doing that? Who in their story had been going after them and intervening and praying? And it wasn't even like bullshit Christian, like, oh, let's pray for you and hold hands and read the Bible together. It was like, no, this person is having serious anxiety. Let's go after it. And, and by the way, show up, pray and leave. Yeah. Very little relationship with these people outside. <laughs> right. But there's that category, which a lot of people don't actually have to deal with, but that good men do when it's, if you've actually been working on being a person of character, you will have this wealth to bring an offer that is going to knock most people's socks off because not a lot of men are bringing that to the table. And for those young women, that was a major thing that we actually had to be like, oh, you, you don't get to save everyone. You don't. You have to leave some people disappointed. You do have to be a good man that actually just stops a relationship if it isn't act, what you're meant to do. It's not the right person, and all those sorts of questions. And I'm getting into the questions that a lot of people ask, which is, how do you know? So how did you leave the relationship? Also, you can be a good person and not be coming through with everyone you see. <laughs> that was not my story. I was not showing up for every woman in my life. <laughs> True. No. No. Fair enough. And that, nor was I. My uh, my good. roommates used to give me crap and say that Sam had a harem the first um, couple of years at, in college for me because I had shifted from that let's climb the ladder thing to attention feels really good. And I like it when people are interested, but I'm not going to date because I can't be trusted with that. And we're not going to get even that close. I just want your attention. And I would always have... I had like a few close guy friends, but most of the time I was hanging out with like a group of three or four women and it was just yeah. me and them. My observation here is that it's true in concept or in principle that good relationships happen inside good communities. And basically no college is a good community because it's sort of fundamentally incestuous in the way that everybody relates with one another. And some features that I would say to a good community are uh, the presence of authority, sort of if you happen to be a Christian, you understand that men and women relate as brothers and sisters. And it's like, yeah, brothers and sisters have moms and dads and brothers and sisters are like united because they're family. Other than that, they're pretty much irritated with one another. And there's just all of these features that go, you know, it's hard to have a really great relationship outside of a network of varied great relationships. And it's true in my case that without a good mentoring relationship and a good brother relationship and good friendships, etc., just for me to assume that a good dating relationship would happen was inaccurate. So I finally dated as a senior in college, which began as an epistolary romance which David James Duncan accurately described as a relationship between two people that bear no resemblance to either person. And so we would, you know, emails and letters, and then I just sort of kind of textbook, just just basic ways that this isn't disastrous, but just the basic early mistakes of learning to relate and not being in the same place for a while before going, let's date, you know. When I, we were finding the same state, I, 
right away, first conversation. Do you want to date? I had no idea what that meant. And then, because I was a college student, the only people around were peers. The only people. And then the occasional professorial voice and your dad is in another state. And it just goes, that's a really hard context in which to be making good decisions about developing relational skill. Something Dan Allender said once was that we all crave witnesses for our lives and that that is a huge role that your spouse ends up playing. I don't know that that was a factor for me in in most of the dating because I was so young that it, it was like passion, excitement, just mistakes. And so I know that there's a contingent of close friends here in town and probably many abroad that are experiencing singleness into like late 20s and 30s and asking very different questions. And I, there's probably, we're going to offer some things that direction. Um, but I do want to ask the questions of like, okay, we've <laughs> hit some of the young, didn't know categories. What were some of the categories of the woman you did end up marrying and things that you learned and questions that you asked that helped inform that decision and those stories? So, Luke, you had a relationship you just did because you could. I'm guessing that's not who you ended up marrying. Yeah, right. And, like, that relationship ended as soon as we started living in different places because, like, the kind of thrill of just relationship was gone, you know. After that, I realized I had that kind of fixation. Like, it was either dating or being obsessed with the fact that I'm not dating. Um, And so went into my junior year with this, like, torch of, I'm no longer going to be fixated on women. I'm no longer kind of like give my attention and my energy to this idea and concept. Um, And that's the exact moment where my wife walked into my life. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) Which uh, maybe aren't unrelated. uh, And it's also just the playfulness of God. Yeah. So met my wife junior year. We had already been connected since we started going to college. Our every interaction was remarkable in the sense that I'd leave an interaction being like, well, wow. That was really interesting, Um, but never really crossed paths until junior year when uh, we clearly had some growing up to do, um, and our her presence was so different um, and so much more just like enthralling. And then you got married. You didn't ask yourself any questions. Yeah, oh no, I like. Well, I think this meet cute section is a helpful one because some of the questions are, "Where do you find this person?" How do you know? And, you know, I tend to think that there are ways to live like a more and less relational life, a more and less virtuous life, et cetera, et cetera. And that those are the better questions that uh, because you don't know. There's no sweeping prescriptive join the singles group at your church because that's where the young folks are, though. That's probably that might be tactically helpful because yours was you take up the torch of singleness and then suddenly the other appears right right and i think too like i was asking myself questions i mean like we did get married so obviously like it went well uh but at the same time like thinking back on it i did kind of feel like i was flying by the seat of my pants for most of it because um i did learn some things from that other relationship but not a ton um about handling another person's heart well handling physicality well, handling my heart well. 
and honestly, I almost like messed up our relationship a lot by trying to do what other people were doing that I thought was good. Like hearing stories about determine the relationship conversations and hearing stories about like how other people were handling talks around physicality. And I'd be like, yes, okay, to be a good person, I need to do those things. And every time I try to do those things, it almost like ruined the relationship, you know, so. Totally. So I graduate single and stayed and I was living in Washington and then it really it, it felt sort of like there were fundamentally no relational prospects and then one day the girl that I worked with at the climbing gym who I didn't have a friendship with but respected deeply because of her relationship with God and because I was busy helping the people that needed help and she was fine we never related <laughs> You know, because <laughs> we didn't have this conversation and I, was, I went, what? This has never happened before. This is probably a DTR. Oh, no. And then she just kind of goes, here are the ways that I see young people, that our peers mishandling relationships. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to try to get anything from you. I won't be your friend. If you try to get anything from me, you'll fail. It was just this sort of manifesto of what relating is this all sounds like an exaggeration, but it's real. It can actually be kind of awesome when someone starts with, here's the crucified God, and now let's just work backwards from that to where we are in relationship with the living God. Okay, so no, he resurrects everybody. Uh, and out of that, you know, I want what's best for you, and that's you to enjoy a deep life with God, and I'm probably irrelevant to that. And we will never hang out one-on-one -on -one again. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Went to Blaine's heart. My heart, actually, I was like, like wow, this never, is never had a weird. conversation like this. Yeah. I said, great. I left and drove home. Uh, <laughs> shortly thereafter, we were married. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Not totally untrue. <laughs> but also not entirely helpful. <laughs> okay, okay. I just feel like we should let cut. Me, let we me need to add cut to the diaspora. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I like to tell. I mean, anybody asked Susie and I how we met, we both have just sort of said, well, we met dancing, which I think most people then go in their heads to like salsa or swing or something kind of fun like that. But like, no, we met dancing at the Shitty Kitty, which was the nickname that our school had given to this club called the Wildcat. They, uh, yeah, they had like dancers up on pedestals on some like Friday nights. They, I mean, we would go, we would go on like a Tuesday. And there's like nobody else in this club. And we, so we met uh, dancing in clubs um, because we were part of a scene of people that liked to go out and often were the ones encouraging others to go. And when we kind of got interested in each other, it was two people who were really good at making other people like them and enjoyed making other people like them without getting tied down. And so thus began the contest of like, can I get this person to like me without... I'm not going to date her, of course, but I, just, I need I need like the affirmation that she'll she'll go for it, and then we both ended up really liking the other person. <laughs> by the time we had achieved that goal, that we were like, oh man, I'm totally going to care if this ends. This sucks. Like, okay, here we go. And some people de described us as like fire and gasoline. Like, oh man, Sam and Susie dating. That's really bad. Like that is not going to end well. Like, oh those guys. Gosh. It was the weirdest thing. I still remember what? And Sam, but 
and and I went to the beach to smoke a cigar. And Sam said he was dating Susie Douglas, who I knew, and went, "What? <laughs> Surely not, Cheryl. Is there a different Susie Douglas that I don't know who yeah. you could possibly be dating? Right. And like I recently, by which I mean last week, this asked this room of people on behalf of a different person, but also because I wanted to know what they would say for a piece of dating advice. And there's some gems in there. And one of them was not to be afraid of extreme otherness. Totally. And I just feel like, you know, I had seen Susie running around people's houses, like singing at the top of her lungs. And then, I, you know, I had seen Sam wandering off into the woods in his peacoat to do, you know, to write, to smoke cigarettes and write poems. And it was like... I just don't. I just I don't, don't understand. Gonna, <laughs> I don't think you guys are gonna mesh. There was an otherness, and there was what I love about each of these stories too is that like they're all different, and there's there needs to be the permission for it not to be this prescription of, well, first we we met at this group, and then we decided, you know, are we compatible? And I had these conversations, and then we courted. It's like no, we met in a club, dirty dancing, and she's like the opposite end of the spectrum, and she broke up with me in increasing increments as we started dating. Cause it was like, I don't think we're pursuing Jesus enough. I'm like, well, I guess we're not. I mean, I like making out a lot, but if you want more Jesus, then good luck. Wait, I, I don't want to break up. Let's get back together. And it was just like every, every week and then every two weeks and then every month and then every two months, we just kind of, kind of like would double. And, um, it was really And then eventually it became volatile. eternity. Volatile. Yeah. So yeah. we're up to a very, very, very long time until we have to break up again. Um, and there was a volatility to it, but there was also, I think we began to see, instead of being fire and gasoline, there was something in us that actually settled and we stopped seeking attention from other people. Um, and this thing that became this litmus test for me was, uh, do they make you into a better person or do they even call you out to be a better person? Um, began like it kind of began to grow and like show itself because she would break up with me because she'd have these ideas of who we were meant to be and we were so far from there um whereas every girl before then had been perfectly happy with the person that i was and i knew that uh, i didn't really like the person that i was and that i i wanted to be more and some girls really understood the darkness in me and that guy wandering off with his peacoat and cigarettes to go write poetry and those girls I even I liked even less because it was like, I don't want someone who understands the darkness in me. I want someone who can see the potential and the light in me mm. and is going to help to make that come to pass. Mm. That's really good. And I think like, too, just like, <laughs> I need to confess that I had no idea what I was doing the entire time of dating. Oh, totally. Like, I didn't like figure out the key to like a super successful relationship and then do that and then it worked out okay. I w- I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then the other thing that I think is interesting is like that question of, I was asked recently, like, how did you know? And Sammy asked me a little earlier, like, how did you know? That's the big question, right? That's the big question. Um, and it's so interesting because like in a lot of ways, like I don't know if I can answer that question, which is honestly probably better because most of the answers to those questions aren't helpful. Like it just makes sense or like I can't imagine my life without them. You know, you those things. Me. Yeah, those actually aren't that helpful. Because you can complete each other in very unhealthy ways. Right. Yeah. And like, of course, you can imagine like alternate realities. Like <laughs> Picture can you- your life. 
now she's not there. Yeah. Did you still have a picture? <laughs> Did you say, have you ever like read a book? <laughs> um, she's not in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And like, it just makes sense. It's probably the worst one of all, you know? Um, but one of the things that stood out to me was like, we, and I know this has been helpful for other people too, are seasons of doing long distance. Um, we did like three months of long distance where like all the physicality was removed of it. And like, as we were talking earlier, physicality is strong wine. Um, and that can like uh, cover a multitude of sins in any relationship, at least your enjoyment of it. And just had to talk and develop a friendship there. And honestly, it was like over that season that I got back from that and was sure that I wanted to marry this person because we went three months um, of just cultivating a friendship and sharing stories. And I loved experiencing that of just sharing stories. And like when that was meeting the need in my heart to like be seen and be known and be in a relationship, I think that's what answered that question for me. It's so good. That's super good. My response is I think that a lot of questions around dating can be treated as nonsense questions. Be, for example, as you know, as you go the, how did you know? I would go, what question are you asking exactly? You put make that an entirely different question, and just go and push a little bit to go. What are you really asking, and what are you assuming? Marriage is that it could be answered by the fulfilling of some kind of formula. As in, are you assuming that marriage is uh, the suitable union of neighboring farms? Because if so, if you've got neighboring farms, you ought to get married, right? But we don't live in that world anymore. And so it goes, if it isn't that, what is a marriage? And how are you defining a marriage that it could be answered by the question, how will you know when you have one? And then I would also go, the question is dating okay. I go, what are you ask what are you asking? Because that sort of that as a blanket statement is impossible to answer. And if I it would only be no, I would just go, no, wait, what are we talking about? Should I date this girl? Maybe write out the next five to ten questions, because that's where the productive territory is gonna be. And you know, for me and M. What the question in our relationship, what the questions came down to were in our life, it was not, is she the, the right one? It was, is it what God is doing? And there's a primacy to the life with God in our story in which it went, yes, this marriage is what God is doing. And we are out of being committed to him, completely committed with one another. And there was... There was some weirdness in in that for a lot of people who came around and went, wait, what, what's happening? That doesn't sound applicable everywhere. I think I would say there are core things that translate across relationships, but no, it's not applicable everywhere. Yeah, a big piece for me that falls into people that are that are still seeking and that obviously are dating relationships uh, kind of turned into marriage relationships earlier than most. Um, we have plenty of single friends who are in their twenties and thirties now and are wrestling with, how do I find the one and how do I know? Um, 
I would be really aware of agreements that you have been making in your past or out of your relationship history, whatever your sexuality, um, because they will be really defining. And that's true if you're in a relationship as well. Like there's plenty of stories of people making agreements like I've married the wrong person or no one will understand me like X or there's something wrong with me. I'm unclean. I'm like not worthy, whatever it is, that's going to have massive implications for your current relationships and your future relationships and your choices therein. And so that's why we kind of went in with the, the caveat of like, this is not the Anson's official method of dating because we don't believe that exists and, or is that healthy? Um, because if I was not allowed to go to a club, I never would have met my wife. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I just, and my question about whether we were a good fit or not was different than Blaine's question about marriage and Luke's question. And um, so for Susie and I, it did come down to that. Are we heading in a similar direction? No. She wants to go off to nursing school. I want to go off somewhere else. We have these lives. We have these trajectories. But am I passionate about this person and do they call me out and to be someone better are we better together than we were apart and are we willing to learn and grow and wrestle and there's been so many pieces of dating advice and marriage advice that we've gotten over the years and i would say like 10 percent of it has stuck and felt like it works for us and to have the freedom of like some of it just doesn't work some they don't all look the same not every person is the same and so of course it doesn't there's so many like actual tacticals when it comes to all of this that I'm glad that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is meant to shatter some illusions, share some stories, and offer a few postures. One of my questions, and we don't have to answer this, but it's like the, if you could distill down either a question that you would ask yourself back in that space before making the leap, um, or if there's an experience, a thing you did or didn't do, what would that be? Yeah, it's super good. It's interesting. The one that I would ask myself would be between me and God, who is picking the questions? Who's driving the conversation? Because I think, especially around dating and around marriage, I prayed a lot into questions that Jesus was not interested in talking about. And it was a really helpful exercise to go, yes, the theme is love, relationship, marriage. Now, with that as the backdrop, what do you want to talk about? What are the conversations, Jesus, that you and I should be having? And it kind of unearthed this other territory. And, you know, he was much more interested in talking about the ways I was doing harm by trying never to fail in all my relationships. And he was much more interested in talking about what I thought would happen if I failed. Mm -hmm. Like anywhere, not just in relating, but there. And as long as I was asking, is there a girl coming? Is this the one? Jesus, would you bring her? I was actually missing the conversation that was more directly related to the girl eventually. I think for me, something that I would have just told to myself in that dating experience, uh, 
that's a little bit more specific because like what was at stake for my heart was fear of failure. Um, a fear of not coming through failure, fear of not being a good man. And like what failure looked like to me was breaking up was like, that's like the worst thing that could happen when you're in love with someone. But I honestly think that like breaking up isn't failure. Sometimes that can actually be really healthy for a relationship um, where it can be extremely clarifying. What about you, Sam? Hmm. So this one's again, personal, but I experienced a willingness to learn and grow and forgive and enter into hard conversations that gave me the assurance that we could handle greater and harder things and better things as well. So for me, I I don't know, there was massive attraction and there was massive affection and playfulness and this fire. And there was also all of this unknown that we wanted to be able to look around the corner. We wanted to be able to see what was coming and what was, if it was going to be a good fit, is this the one and all of that. But we, we just, in our relationship, I think gave, what gave me peace was that there was uh, a tendency to move toward each other and to be willing to grow and admit wrong and to hash these things out that gave me a, like an assurance of, well, I've had many people offer the advice that there may not be a person because God is able to meet you in the path that you choose. If there's just a person, then is there actually free will? Or are you messing up your life if you've somehow like stepped away from the path for you? But if God gives you the choice, then are you going to be all in? And are you going to be willing to work for your goodness and their goodness and your relationship and their relationship with Jesus and all of that. And like those weren't categories at first. Those weren't like the be all end all, but just like the basic tool set of can we grow together? And the answer was yes. And that, I think that gave us a lot of hope um, and has proved massively <laughs> important and helpful. So yeah. Stories from dating. We all should have been drinking for this podcast. I think I need a drink now. Right. Just all of the old shames that want to kind of reassert themselves. Again, like I want to land on that, like knowing your story, looking back on it and being able to identify places where fear or performance or messages of like, I'm always going to be alone or this is just always going to be hard to try to get in because those will be what we call agreements and they will have massive implications if you do not break them. Anyway, I hope this has been helpful. Thank you guys for getting naked. That's what people don't know about this recording. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. No dating. You know what guys? Fortunately, there's a life with God available. (laughs) 